Welcome to the Social World Podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Now, you can hear us on, um, you can download us from iTunes or Stitcher, Podfeed, whatever. You can go to the website, the socialworldpodcast.com. Uh, at Dave Niven is the Twitter handle. And uh, you can always email us at info at uh, dniven associates or um, the social world podcast site has details as well i mean i'm doing a first today which is really good and i I haven't sort of um, thought of this before but it's a neglected area and that's the private sector and so my guest today and i'm really pleased that i managed to uh, persuade him to come along is james rook who's the ceo of sanctuary social care now, James is the, provides from the private sector agency staff, both in healthcare and in social care, and they're the biggest provider of social workers um, in the UK. So it's uh, a pleasure to have you, James, along. Welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, David. Now, how did your journey start? How did you actually get into this business in the first place? What What's the backstory from yourself? Um well, we're nearly, nearly, we're just about 10 years old now. And um, I had been in the recruitment world. I'm, I'm chronically dyslexic. Um, but probably what was more uh, the rationale behind it is I was involved with two charities, uh, one very close to my heart, which is, is for bipolar patients, which uh, has affected various members of my family. And so I always had a close affiliation and I'd worked uh, in the care sector before myself as well. So um, all that coming together, I decided to start a, a social work specific agency, very much focusing on that in November um, 2006. Um, and I started it with eight people. Um, and I'm sitting in an office today with those same eight people that I started with it 10 years ago. Well, that's good. I'm probably more proud of that than I am anything else. Let's say I, I can't spell, read, or write. Very dyslexic, um, but I think we we formed a company on the principles that you you treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself, and that, that staff retention is is critical for both our candidates, um, those practitioners working with us. The last thing they want to hear is to have somebody helping them through their career, their development, and to phone up another day and to be told, I'm afraid John's left and, and Sophie will look after you now. It's mm-hmm. not about the name above the door. It's about those individual relationships and people really understanding what, what somebody's career, uh, where they want it to go. That, that's how the company sort of started with those aims. And we became the largest provider of social workers in the UK. And since then, we've developed into delivering services ourselves and very much outsourcing of, of services from local authorities. Okay. I mean, what's your take at the moment on the landscape? We'll start with social work at the moment. I mean, because it's, it's, some people say quite chaotic. Others say, you know, a change a minute. Others say they've absolutely no idea about the future because those in political control have got very little idea about the future. Um, but I mean, you're filling the gaps an awful lot, you're actually providing agency staff to what is quite a significant vacancy rate amongst um, um, social services departments. I mean, how, how do you see it developing? Um, I mean, you know, the, the, I, I hate to always be um, talking about sort of negatives, but I, I do feel as though 
particularly in the UK, that um, politically um, the austerity we've gone through. Um, I mean, ultimately, the best, I believe the best spend to save exercise in the UK would be social care. Mm. Um, it affects so many other areas and so many other budgets, um, but there isn't that investment going on. And in fact, the opposite. And it's kind of, we won't do anything about it until it's broken. And at the moment, you've got a, a loss of practitioners every year, even though there's more people joining the profession in children's services last year, um, the net, there's more people leaving as well as more people joining. And there was a net loss of 500 um, children's practitioners in the UK. That's worrying, isn't it? It's very worrying. And there are schemes that are going on, but they're not having a big enough impact. And we need very skilled workers, um, and, and that experience is critical in the field as well. Um, it, it's, the biggest worry for me is ultimately the one job that I certainly would not want at this moment in time in the UK is to be a director of children's services. Mm. They've started their career as a practitioner, a social worker, somebody that's been on the front line often, somebody that very much cares about the vulnerable and making a difference. Um, They've done well, they've worked with people, um, and suddenly the role is completely and utterly changed, becoming a CFO, um, having to deal with multi-million pound budgets, which if they were in the private sector, they would be paid about 10 times what they're being paid today, looking after our most vulnerable citizens in the UK. So an incredibly important job, which is not what they've necessarily been trained or have a natural skill set for. And then they're given a very difficult scenario of we would like you to improve our services because they're failing. At the same time, you're going to have greater demand than we had before when we were failing. And we'd like you to do that with less money, less resource, less support. Mm. Not a good formula, eh? It, it's, it's, a, it's a very tough one. It's, um, it's a very, very difficult job and it has changed dramatically in the last five years. So, good analysis of what is, what do you think the next few years hold? Well, it, it, it's what I, what I hope, um, and, and reality may be different things. Um, my personal belief, as I said, is we need to invest. We need to look at new initiatives. I mean, to give a very, very simple point, so we've got a shortage of practitioners. So, in order to use their expertise... In, you'd want to make them more efficient. Mm -hmm. So what we've actually done in the UK is in times of austerity, directors, financial directors, directors of children's, directors of adult services, haven't wanted to lose practitioners, and quite rightly so. But instead, they've had to lose their admin. So I've got reports of practitioners now hoovering their offices, doing the filing, they spend up to 70% of their time in front of a computer screen. That's not why they joined the profession. They joined to make a difference, to support the vulnerable. Um, and the role, the role has changed, and it, it's getting worse, is in the productivity of a practitioner is slowing down because of the amount of administration. And it's not a cost-effective way, but I, I, I'm not criticizing a local authority or the directors. I think they've been given an impossible hand. Um, the reality is they should be quadrupling their admin 
to make their practitioners that much more productive, then as a UK, the UK may even be able to produce some good services with a shortage of practitioners we have. Um, it's exactly what you, you mentioned earlier on about the us being private sector. Mm-hmm. I, I just look at us as a social work business. And for me, it's, there's, there's often a debate about public sector or private sector. That shouldn't be the debate. The debate should be, what's the methodology of this service? Why is it going to work? What's the evidence? What difference does it make to service users' lives? And unfortunately, that horrid question has to be asked afterwards. Is it financially appropriate, beneficial? Does it work? Um, It's not about who's doing it. It's about how it's done. And unfortunately, the local authorities are tied up in red tape. What we've done as a, as a business now, we're, we're delivering services throughout the whole of the UK through our Skylakes brand. And Yeah, hold, let, 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 can, I'd like you to describe that actually in a little bit more detail, but could I just ask you a question first and then I promise you we'll come to Skylakes. Absolutely. The, the charge, if you, for want of a better word, as, as you know, that's always sort of suggested about agency staff as such is that they get paid more than the permanent employees. So, you know, everybody says, well, look, why don't I just give up my job? Because uh, I know there's so many vacancies around and I can go and join someone like Sanctuary, um, become an agency member of staff and earn far more money. I mean, the, the logic is impeccable in some respects. I mean, but for somebody who I know as you are that cares about the profession as well, how do you tackle that kind of charge? I, I, th- I think it's, you have to look at, it, it's obviously it is supply and demand. It's a marketplace which is, is short of practitioners. Um, but I think the key fact is really, um, it's kind of what's happening in the NHS now. So they've, they've put on um, caps um, to bring in line um, the, the pay rates with, with permanent members of staff. Um, that that's not, is not planning out to be a successful move for them, and it's not working. Mm. Um, the reason behind that is, is because it is a candidate short market. As an employer, again, forgetting about private sector and public sector and just looking at it and saying, you're a company, you're an employer, it's short of candidates in the market of these specialist staff that you need. What's the logic behind your recruitment process? Whether it's permanent, locum, um, however you contract with people, the most important thing is that you open yourself up to the largest potential pool of candidates that will work for you. And you do that by making yourself more attractive as an employer. What our NHS has just done um, is made it less attractive for locum staff to work for them. Now, most locum staff, it is a lifestyle. It is the fact that we've got a huge international population within health and social care. And the UK is very aware that we need that international population to support us um, and some magnificent staff. But they're coming here because they can get a work-life balance. I think that's the point, is, is that where there's a staff shortage, you need to allow yourself to be open to people contracting you with you in as many ways as possible to make it attractive for them. We have practitioners from all over the world 
who will return home for three months of the year to be with their family. Um, and that flexibility, without it, they wouldn't be in here in the UK. They wouldn't be supporting our service users. And coming back to the money side of things, um, around the UK in social work, there's been a memorandum of understanding in most geographics. So the pay rates have come down and they're much closer to being in line with a permanent member of staff. Um, and actually, when you break it down, the permanent member of staff, with their pension and everything else, there's not a great deal of difference, in fact. Um, so do you think they're consolidating a bit? Yeah, there was an example recently. There was a director, um, and it was very interesting. It was in, a, in actually in a local um, paper to our head office. And there was a director who was um, criticised um, for uh, being, being an interim and how much he had cost the authority. And when you compared the true cost of that interim against the cost of the previous permanent director, the interim was in fact just just under £50,000 cheaper. <laughs> and okay. the reason for that was there was no pension, etc., etc. Um, but also they were only paid for the day's work that they actually delivered. Okay, quite startling. Well, well, look, okay, take your points on that. Let's develop a couple of things that you mentioned earlier on, because I'm quite fascinated to hear a bit more about one of your newest kind of services, the Sky Lakes Initiative, which, um, if I understand it, it's not exactly sort of rapid response, but it certainly is apparently set up to deal with more immediate need. Is that a fair point, if you'd like to describe it? Skylakes is our, our service delivery arm, um, which we started about six years ago. Um, and really, um, we, we learned a lot of lessons in the early days and, and made a number of errors, which I think local authorities have done as well. But what we were very fortunate about is we, we didn't have the red tape. We haven't done anything that clever. What we've actually done is go out to the market, ask practitioners, ask managers, ask directors, um, what would you do? If you didn't have any red tape, um, and at the time that I was, I was very much touring the UK, meeting 80% of directors, particularly in children's services, they were saying, "We've got a backlog." And in those days, they were they were doing initial assessments, and they would be saying, "I've got a backlog of a thousand, two thousand initial assessments, and I'm very, very concerned about it." Um, and the question would be, when contracting, would be, "How long will it take you? How much will it cost?" And what will the quality of the work be? Now, those three questions, um, when commissioning anything, seem very fair questions to ask an organisation. Yeah. At a time, I realised in the UK, the only answer to that was, yes, we can. Um, we can give you some locums. Um, how many do you want? You can have 30, 40, 50, 100. Um, timeline? No idea. Manage that yourself and no one's incentivized to, to get it to finish to any particular timescale. Quality? No idea. It's going to vary. Some will understand your threshold. Some will understand your ICS system. Some won't. Manage it yourself. Um, cost. Yes, there is one. It's ongoing. I don't know what it's going to be, but there's definitely one there and it's going to continue to grow. So th those answers, I realized, were not particularly good answers mm. to needs. And that's when we set up Skylakes. Guarantee the timescales. We guarantee the quality of the work a fixed price that so they can actually for the first time times of austerity actually say i'm budgeting for these assessments is going to cost me x amount over this period of time and they will be to this quality level or i will not have to pay a far more accountable service 
what we've really done and is to try to do things and deliver things in a different way. And I touched earlier on about the efficiency and admin and how hmm. local authorities, practitioners, we're needing more and more anyway because demand is going up, but actually they're becoming less efficient, which is making us need even more because they're spending so much time doing administration in front of a computer screen. And you provide the admin backup, don't you, yourself within Skylakes? Is that my right? Am I right? Absolutely. And it makes it it makes it it's much easier for us to recruit staff to Skylakes because social workers are doing what they train to do, what they're passionate about. They're spending time with service users. They're making a difference. They're making judgments and they're more informed to make those judgments. Whereas all inputting in children's services onto ICS or adult systems, everything is done for them. Um, to give you, give you a good example, we work with a South, uh, this is an adult um, example, we work with a South London authority and they were targeted internally to do um, five adult reviews a week. On average, they were achieving three adult reviews a week. Um, and it's not because our practitioners are superhuman. Yes, we cherry pick them and we've got the largest database of practitioners in the UK, but it's the process to which they work through. All their route plan is done for them. All the inputting onto the computer systems is done for them. They spend time with service users. So when we worked with that South London Authority, our lowest performance was doing completing eight assessments in a week, which is a considerably difference to three. Yeah. Um, and we've got examples of extremes of 15 assessments in a week. And these are all going through five stages of quality assurance. And the difference, again, we've had a, a, another London Authority quote to us that for every thousand reviews that Skylakes does for them, the quality is higher than internally and consistent throughout, but it's the same cost for us to be able to only complete 750 internally. And as I say, it's not because we've done anything massively clever or we're the superhuman practitioners. Yes, they're geared up. Yes, if they do quality work, they can get bonus for that if it's quality work to time scale. But the practitioners are really doing what they want to do. They've also got a fantastic work-life balance. If they want to take their child to school and drop them off and do the school run, that's absolutely fine. As long as the assessments are done to the quality standards within the time scale. And we have practitioners. We also are bringing some practitioners back into the profession. So you've got retired practitioner who may want to do one fostering assessment and just take one on every now and again or just before Christmas mm. to add to their income. Mm. That flexibility is bringing some very good practitioners back into the sector. Okay. Well, now you talked about, um, I mean, when I mentioned the private sector and you sort of redefined it a bit and, and understood, um, but there is some considerable talk about privatisation within social care. Um, I don't know how much of that's um, impacting on your thinking at the moment or whatever, but I mean, some people would be very concerned when it seems like child protection, for example, and so forth gets what they would call privatized and, and the whole ethos and sort of the whole ethical kind of background of that would be challengeable. I mean, how, how do you feel about that? I think it's all down to methodology, accountability. Um, it's not it's not 
if a private company is going to deliver social work, how are they going to do it? Why are they going to be any good at it? What guarantees do they give to the taxpayer, to the service user that this is going to be delivered? And where can they evidence and prove that they've got the resource and they have delivered this before? If those questions can all be asked in a positive way, then I think it's a very good thing. If you're talking about a large logistics privatized company taking over children's services, it would probably concern me because they've got no track record or history of delivering it. I think um, for ourselves, um, yeah, we we are we're running referral assessment um, centres for local authorities throughout the UK. We do that incredibly effectively. We've got a track record of taking people out of intervention. Um, so I think it's really, it comes back to it's not private or public sector. I believe that there should be, the commissioning should be done by independent bodies completely. And public sector, independent bodies, whether they move it into a trust or not. But ultimately, the decision should be based on what is the best outcome for service users? That's the first priority. Okay. And sadly, in these times, the, the next one is, is it financially yeah. working yeah. for the taxpayer? I think everybody accepts that as part of the equation. It's just a question of at what, 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 where does it sit in the pyramid, if you like? I think um, the finances, does it come before the, the needs of children? And I, don't, I think most people would disagree, but we just worry greatly about... Um, financial services taking over rather than um, good practice. But look, can I just ask a couple of more things about once about the image before we just move off social work for a second, the image of social work. I mean, you know, because you and I have talked before that um, I'm very much committed to improving the image of social work uh, in the media, which I think is the window in the world for 99% of the population, whether it's broadcast, written or social media. And that Doing media training, you know, all right for the um, the higher paid people within kind of local authorities, you know, so DCSs or whoever, when problems arise, they've got to be ready to uh, meet the media um, uh, and explain in the best way possible using that these these platforms. But also frontline social workers needing media training, in my view, to talk more and much much more about good news. Because that so much helps on the doorstep tomorrow with a new case if the if the, the family that you're visiting effectively has a balanced view of social work rather than scare stories that uh, often populate the uh, the media. I mean, you we've talked about doing some work together with Sanctuary, and I'm hopeful hopeful that that can come off. I mean, what what's your general view about um, the image of social work in the media? Um, well. That's a, a, a very big one. I mean, for the, the, to come back the, to tackle the media training piece, yes, I, I, I think it, it's, it's an essential piece which is often missing, actually. And um, it, yes, some directors get it, but not enough, um, and not enough support, and people end up like rabbits in, in, in the headlights. Mm. Uh, and it, it's a very difficult, it's often not something that they've, they've had received any support in. Um, and I think it's really essential for every authority to, to offer that to practitioners. Sadly, um, it is some authorities now are ticking boxes because of the financial problems in regard to any form of training. 
so we we offer training throughout not not just media training which is a very good course but also whether it's form f section 47 ab training the lot um but all our courses are um you know physical on-site courses um you know, for our AB course, we've, we've got uh, a police officer and a very senior police officer and a very senior social worker and an actor. Um, and for a lot of courses now, local authorities are having to buy online tools where people click through um, rather than actually having any small form of classroom or practical experience. Um, the overall image of social work, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. Mm. Um, I think it's it's very, very unfair. Um, they are the often referred to as the fourth emergency service in the UK, and I know of cases on a regular basis with our practitioners. Without their intervention, lives would be lost. Um, and it's not just that they are making that they're saving and putting people in much more comfortable environment um, and, and saving a lot of greater issues and family problems um, through their intervention. But it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a bit of a thankless task, social work within the UK. Well, we will, we will turn it round. I mean, we're still a young profession. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, the Social Work of the Year Awards, I'm delighted. Ah, tell us about them, because I'm going to ask you, because you sponsor them, don't you? Yeah, well, I, 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 years ago, I was asked to do a... <laughs> speech at, at the Social Work of the Year Awards, which was a rather small event held in a, a hotel in Bedford. Um, and the founder of that, um, Beverly Williams, who's now got her MBE, which I'm delighted for her, um, she, you know, and I had a conversation and realized that we obviously had a lot of access to the social work community and how could we make this a bigger thing? How could we promote positive practice? How could we make social workers feel good about themselves? And, you know, I think we've gone a long way in doing that now and being in the House of Commons and getting senior figures along to the event and, and doing a large awards ceremony. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the team and, and the partners I brought on board and how we've managed to get that achieve what we have as a group. Um, and it's now a registered charity and with an independent chairman. And it, it, it's it's become a. A big thing. It's not just about a sort of an annual winner. What it's about is a manager recognizing a member of their team and actually saying, I'm putting you forward for this. I'm putting the whole team forward. I want to say thank you. Um, one of the, the shocking things I have is when people join Skylakes is being a private company, we're very lucky we don't have the red tape. We're able to, I had three practitioners in the, uh, in the Midlands recently and I, I sent them all some flowers um, and, and a letter, a handwritten letter, and then I phoned them all up. Just because I'd, I'd received a email from a director of service saying, we always talk about, that, uh, spend too much time dwelling on all the negatives. I wanted to highlight some of the emails I'd received about your Skylakes practitioners. Uh, good. I just wish there was more people that actually look for the positives, you know, because it just seems like a litany of negativity when we when we read about social work these days. And, I mean, what you say does ring so true. And well done, by the way, for the Social Work Awards, because they are establishing themselves as very much as part of the calendar, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. Certainly not all me, um, but I'm delighted to be part of it mm -hmm. and to be a trustee. Okay, a couple of quick last questions, if I could, James, because um, time's catching up with us a bit. But um, 
two things. Firstly, would, I, I know you, you work with the health service as well and you recruit nursing staff or, well, beyond nursing staff, you record health staff, don't you, for, for the NHS. Give us a quick rundown about what Sanctuary does with that. As I say, I look at this as a, a social work business and there are various derivatives of that. So um, we're the largest provider into the criminal justice sector. Um, so we've got nurses, but it all comes from social work, from substance misuse specialists. Mm-hmm. So we now, we're now, as I say, the largest provider into criminal justice and work with all probation services in providing probation staff and substance misuse specialists. Also into um, community mental health teams, uh, we're obviously providing social workers and we also provide um, mental health nurses. Okay. Um, so yeah. it's all linked into social work. The international community, obviously this program goes to a wide number of countries. I mean, um, any messages for potential staff, health care staff, social work staff out there? Yeah, we, there's a huge variety of roles. Um, I mean, we, we work with um, all but, I think, two authorities in the UK. We, we work entirely with everyone, basically. Um, but we get a huge variety of exciting jobs. We had a job recently with a football association through to we also have some international roles. Um, we've got people out in the Falkland Islands, people working for um, the armed forces throughout the world. We've got people out in Frankfurt. We have the only social worker on the Isle of Mull and an IRO who fires out to the Isle of Man each week. So there's huge variety and we hugely welcome the experience of the international community. Right. We just have to be slightly careful that there's not brain drain in, an, in another country. Mm. And it, it, there is a, a worldwide shortage of health and social care qualified staff, which we, we as countries need to make a big difference and we need to encourage people. Um, and things like the Social Work of the Year Awards, talking about the positives of the profession, I hope, is where we can make a difference and get people attracted into such an important profession. James Rook, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, David. Thank you very much.